Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the last episode in January of 2022 for the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. I'm pretty excited about our guests today. We are going to talk about something that I have not talked about on the podcast before. We are going to talk about place and travel writing. I really want to allow everyone who listens to the show to know that there are so many places that you can do writing. There are so many places that you can be published, that you can have people reading your stories and what you've put down on paper or, you know, computer. (laughs) And travel writing is one of those. As you guys know, I love traveling. I call myself a travel addict. I really, really enjoy seeing the world and experiencing new places and cultures and languages and people. And to be honest, I haven't done a lot of writing around it, but my guest today, Jeremy Bassetti, is really pushing me to think a little bit differently about what I might do with those moments of travel or those moments that happen during the travel and how I can put words to paper about them and share them with the world. So I also want to open those doors for you guys as listeners to see that there are so many different places and varieties of genres that we can talk about our stories and our experiences and all of that. We can write. There's always something to write about, right? Before we get into the interview with Jeremy, this week on my newsletter, I talked about that hated question, (laughs) what does your main character want? I think a lot of writers hate this question because A, if you've ever tried to get an agent or get your book to be read at a contest or by a publisher, you're usually going to fill out this form. And there is going to be this question on that form in one way or another. What does your character want? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, what is the story about? Right. But a lot of times when we answer, especially as first time writers are kind of, you know, new to fiction writing, what is your story about? We go straight for plot, right? And that's okay. You know, obviously, a lot of times the plot is needed to be talked about. It is sometimes the most exciting thing to talk about. It's not unneeded, right? It's not unnecessary. But sometimes when we're asked as new writers, what does your character want? We get a bit tripped up. And I have a few theories about this. And I I say this because I I used to get tripped up too. Um, I think sometimes when we look at our story, we think, okay, it can't be, I'll take my first book. Rowena wants to go home. She really wants to go home and she's stuck in the desert in 1831 and she wants to get out and she wants to go home. Right. And so Kristoff comes and gives her a way to get home. And I didn't think of this consciously when I was reading, uh, when I was writing the story, I kind of wish that I had known a little bit about that. If you listened to my podcast last week with Emma, I talk a little bit about how sometimes we just start with writing without really knowing the ins and outs of storytelling, right? And so when I look back at that story, I would say, well, what she wants is to go home. And I think as a new writer, what tripped me up when I was filling out these forms and hoping to get an agent to to pick it up or maybe a publisher to publish it was like, well, that doesn't seem like enough. That doesn't seem altruistic enough. It doesn't seem big enough or grand enough or, you know, actually what she wants is love and to be accepted. You know, so you end up going a bit poetic maybe, or a bit academic, a bit, I don't know, literary. And really what we're looking for in a story and for a story to really work well is that 
we just need the character to want something. And I use the example from the henna artist, which I just finished by Alka Joshi. And it is, it is a very good book. I think it's very well written. You know, if you get into reviews, <laughs> there are some people that have different opinions than me, but I thought it was a very well-written book. And from the beginning of the book, we know that Lakshmi wants her house and she wants independence. And she's an Indian woman living in 1956, I believe, or 55. So that's a big deal. And that is kind of what is where the story starts and what sort of revolves around her and how she's making her decisions. What's really important to understand as a writer is that what the character wants is going to push them to make certain decisions. And so Lakshmi in The Hannah Artist makes certain decisions. And of course, some decisions are influenced by her estranged sister coming, by the rich women around her that are making certain decisions. But all in all, the majority of her decisions are pushing her towards her goal of a house and independence, right? From as an independent woman, not owing anybody anything, right? So of course there are deeper things, deeper, deeper themes and subject lines and in the story. But at the core of who she is and what she is looking for, and, you know, she'll make all these excuses of, so why she made this decision and why she made that decision. But really in the end, what she's doing is trying to get her house paid for and moved into her house. Right. And what's interesting to note is a lot of times we can write our stories, not really understanding this, but doing it you know, cause we've read enough doing it in such a way that, yeah, the, the main character is pursuing that want. So I did that in my first book and, and I, you know, I didn't do it perfectly. That's for sure. I think that I could have done a better job had I really understood the full concept behind storytelling and what makes a story stick with you, you know, and why I would want to keep this want in mind and understand the want as small as it is, or as superficial as you might think it is, it's their want. And it's what the main character is striving towards, right? And I think we can be a little too hard on our main characters telling them that what they want isn't enough because I mean, it is enough. It's, it's what drives us as humans to, to make decisions, you know, whether we want revenge or we want to be chosen for the dance team, or we want to be the best award-winning gardener, or we want to own our house, or we want a new job, or we want to be the best at our job. Um, we want a new husband, a new spouse, a new wife. We want to be loved. We want our friend not to move. I don't know. <laughs> Just trying to make up all these things. We have all these different ones. And we, I don't think that we should judge our main character so harshly. That's what I'm trying to say, that we should allow them to want these superficial things because they're humans. and well, humans or, you know, whatever you are writing, maybe part humans or part aliens, but in the end, we're writing on that psychology of what they want. And of course, as the story goes along, usually what happens is they find out what they want isn't what they need, right? <laughs> so, so we talk about that in the newsletter and next week, we're going to talk about focus. So if you want to get these newsletters and see what I'm thinking or where I'm at in the storytelling and writing journey, you can sign up for the, my writer's newsletter below. If you want to know more about my books or author swaps, um, or things that I'm reading, you can sign up for my reader's newsletter, or you can sign up for both if you want. So before I ask you guys to rate and review the podcast on whatever app it is that you are listening to it, I want to ask you a question. This week on Twitter, yes, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as at pencils and lipstick. And to be fair, I'm kind of on there just to see all the controversy in the writing world. <laughs> and there is some. So this week on Twitter, um, somebody asked, is it okay for a writer to ask for the reader to review the book? at the end of the book. Now, if you see this, this request for a review of the book, a lot of times if you're on an e-reader, there will be a link to go and review it. 
it's because you've gotten to the end of the book, right? I mean, e-readers, we don't usually flip to the end. You might on a paperback, but usually it's because you've gotten to the end of the book. And the author's assumption at that point is that it was good enough for you to finish. Could you please leave a review? I was surprised at how many authors said that it was not dignified to do this, that it looked like begging, that it seemed to them to be a bit offensive, that they shouldn't ask the reader to do anything and basically acted as though it's a privilege for us to have anyone dare to read our books. Now, I do think it's a privilege that anyone dares to read my book. On the other hand, I don't think that we need to have the attitude that we are somehow subservient to readers. You see the difference there? And so my answer to this question is, we work hard as writers to write a book that usually gets sold for about 99 cents to 2.99. We're talking eBooks. Many times we're giving those books away for free for reviews or for just newsletter swaps to get more people following us. We give a lot away for free as writers. And I think I would dare to say that in the creative world, we are some of those who give more away for free than others. And so to ask a reader who has gotten to the end of the book to please review it, I think is perfectly rational and reasonable. And if a reader is offended or thinks that it looks like begging, I would ask the reader to step back a minute and realize that we spend $4.99 on birthday cards that usually end up in the trash and are created by big manufacturers and usually have about five words on them compared to what we spend on eBooks in which it sometimes takes months to years to write, right? And it doesn't take that much to review. Now, I am personally of the opinion that unless it is a book that I could recommend somebody read, whether it is a recommended beach read to simply be entertained, a read to learn something, or a read that I think was just pretty awesome. (laughs) I won't review it. So if it's not a book that I can say, yeah, it's definitely worth reading, you know, yeah, it was fun because there are a range of books and what their purposes are, right? They can range from just escape and fun. And, you know, that's sort of chiclet or like cozy mysteries or things like that. And of course, there's a range on what ones are better than others. But I really think that to me, I think that's more personal. And so if I can't give a book a three star or above, I usually don't rate it. And in fact, as an author out there, I only rate some books. I don't rate all books. Now, for readers who want to give their reviews, I can't tell you what to do. You can rate anything you want. I would just have you think of what went into writing it and whether or not it's going to hurt the writer. And in fact, if a book was really not good, it would probably be better to find the author and just let them know, Hey, either you're, I just found, you know, you could do better there's no dialogue or there your characters aren't developed enough or whatever. And I decided not to review it, but here are my thoughts. I don't know. In fact, a lot of authors won't take a liking to that, but the authors who want to improve and get better might take you up on it and change their books. In fact, one woman in my group always says that it was the full, honest review of a, of a reader telling her, here's why this didn't work and where sort of things got mismatched that made her go back, fix the book, republish it and find success with it. So there's a way to do it, but to answer the question, is it okay to ask for reviews? I'm a podcaster in this moment, and I'm about to ask you to rate and review. You don't have to, it's okay. But I think we all know whether it's YouTube or Rumble or 
podcasting or whatever it is, vlogging or reels or TikTok or whatever, everyone's always asking for ratings and reviews because that's the algorithm. So I just don't think that authors need to be ashamed of it. We run on reviews. We need reviews. I can't get a BookBub deal to promote my book on BookBub unless I have a certain number of reviews. I can't advertise in certain places unless I have a certain number of reviews. You see how this is? Like it shows the reviews show that people dared to read your book. And then they took the time to say whether they liked it and appreciated it or not. So my personal opinion is that yes, it's perfectly fine to ask for a review of the book. And I just ask readers to be, be kind. <laughs> That's what I say. You know, be honest, but be kind. And remember, everyone needs, everyone in the creative world needs ratings and reviews. So as a listener to this podcast, would you please rate and review the Pencils and Lipstick podcast, wherever it is that you are listening to it. Now, after all of my ramblings, here is my interview with Jeremy Bassetti. I highly recommend you guys go find him, sign up for his newsletter, uh, read the Adventures and Ideas online travel magazine, find him on Twitter. I think that you guys are really going to enjoy hearing from him. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. Today, I have with me Jeremy Bassetti. I'm excited to have you guys listen to him because I think he knows a few things that many of us don't know. He works in the travel writing business, sort of niche, I guess we would say, but I'll have him talk more about that. But first, let's welcome Jeremy Bassetti. Hello. How are you doing today? Hello. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, as I was telling you before, I heard you talk in October and I was thinking like, oh, travel writing is very interesting. <laughs> like it's, a, you know, as I was saying before, I think um, I was thinking of like those little magazines that you get in the airplane when <laughs> in the front pocket of the airplane and you like opened up this whole door that I didn't really think, I'm, I guess I didn't put much thought into that it existed. So I'm excited for you to come on and tell us all about travel writing and place writing. Good. Well, some of those magazines don't exist anymore, but <laughs> <This is true. laughs> um, we can talk more about what's what's left there. <laughs> yes. Well, would you tell us a little bit about where you are from and how you kind of got into writing? Yeah. So basically, I, I live in Orlando, Florida. This is where I'm based. And I do many things, um, kind of academic by by training, uh, but I guess one of my real loves is is writing. And so I, I teach by day and by night. I do all things travel writing, read. I, I talk to people about uh, travel writing, interview travel writers on my podcast, Travel Writing World. And that's just kind of my, my world is, is travel writing, really. How did you get into that? I mean, I assume you like to travel. But how did those two sort of worlds collide between travel and writing? Yeah, well, it's kind of a it's kind of a long story, but we were talking a little bit about this earlier. But when I was in grad school, I was living in Spain to do some some research in the archives. And, you know, that experience was transformative. It was great. It was wonderful. You know, it's kind of like this superlative moment in my life. But, you know, when I got home, you know, I realized at that point how transformative it was. And, you know, that was such kind of a, a rich and fertile experience for me that I had, I realized I had all this kind of like creative energy bubbling out of me that I kept on, I guess, linking back to my time in, in Spain, right? So I found that experience in Spain to be just so, so rich and fertile and creative that I started writing and I started kind of looking in my old photography archives. And it was just like, I, I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to explain yeah. how, how transformative it was, but you know, through the changes and the and the challenges that I had there, it was just like just really rich and and, and creative uh, moment for me. And I, it, it, I kind of like at that moment it clicked. I was like, you know, this is what I should be doing. You know, this is what I, I really want to do with my life. It was it was that kind of profound. I, I, I'm aware it sounds terribly cheesy, but that's that's true. Did you know that there was? a way to 
to put those two together or did you just see like that you liked writing and that that sort of creativity was bubbling up? Did you see at that moment that it was going to niche into travel writing? No, not, not, at, okay. not when I was in Spain, I guess when I came back, it was, you know, this confluent, this is an aha moment for me. I was like, yes, mm. there is, you know, there are people um, who are interested in travel writing and travel literature and all the kind of the creative pursuits that kind of orbit around travel, mm-hmm. um, you know, travel photography. And there are people that are making a living doing that. And then it kind of clicked at some point after Spain, um, after I lived in Spain, that I started to kind of research and investigate. Like, how, how are people doing this? How are people putting this together? And like, I'm kind of a photography nerd, also like a literature nerd. And so my my focus and my energy has been on there. So I've been, you know, since that time reading a lot of the great travel writers, and I'm talking about here travel literature and kind of seeing, you know, how things are are done in that world. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So on your website, you have sort of place and travel as these two words that constantly come up. Are there is, is there a difference in place writing and travel writing? Um, or are those interchangeable? Yeah, well, there's obvious overlap. Um, and I, I like to think about it like um, like if you can envision, envision a, a Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. And so you have kind of travel writing in one circle. Then you have like, think about maybe nature writing in another circle. I think where those two circles overlap, that center mm-hmm. of the Venn diagram might be something called place writing. So what is that? I mean, <laughs> this is something that a lot of like the academics debate and 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 argue about. And, you know, there's conversations about what exactly is place writing. And I'm not sure um, what it is exactly. But the way that I see place writing is, you know, a type of writing where setting um, mm-hmm. moves from the background to the foreground of of the work. Right. And so like, how we feel or think or inhabit or understand or experience a place, this comes to the foreground of uh, the work of of literature, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's almost like the place becomes a character in itself that is mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. people people talk about it in, in those terms. i've I've heard uh, I've heard that uh, before. Um, and how does that kind of relate to travel writing? Well, you know, Travel writing is all about place in some in some respects. I mean, what is a travel book that doesn't deal with place? I mean, arguably mm-hmm. that's not a travel book um, in some way. So there's kind of obvious overlap. But I mean, I think where where a lot of questions about like uh, how do we define these terms uh, come in is when we think about like travel writing versus travel literature, okay. and there's kind of a nuance there, you know. So what would you define travel literature? What are the differences where they sort of sift through and, and separate those two? Yeah, this is, you know, this is going to sound kind of elitist, but, you know, <laughs> the, again, like some of the the, the academics, you know, chew, you know, they talk about this debate. Um, uh, very famously, uh, there's a travel writer named Jonathan Rabin, and he, he said that travel writing is a raffish open house. And he says something like where, you know, the g- different genres uh, wind up in bed next to each other, which is to say that, you know, travel uh, writing is this kind of big thing that includes guidebook writing, mm-hmm. uh, journalism, tourism board copy, maybe, you know, photography, we can lump that in there. And if we're, you know, maybe blogging and like, other travel content like YouTube and Instagram, arguably there's something travel-y and, tra- you know, <laughs> literary about some of that stuff sometimes. Um, and also like under travel writing, we can also throw in their travel literature. So, you know, travel writing, I like to th- think of as like the big umbrella term. And then under that, we have these like different forms or whatever. And so travel literature, I like to think about as kind of like the, as I mentioned earlier, the the elitist kind of idea, like this is like literature, this is books, these are like, in a snobby sense, this is like high kind of travel writing, right? Uh, Like memoirs? Yeah, memoir. Uh, And it's part of, I guess, part of the issue, maybe we just think about this and talk about this too much, but like travel literature is itself another umbrella term that has you know so many different variations and flavors and genres under that it's it's quite rich and quite vast 
yeah, it's, 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 I, I think, I, I think that's part of the reason why it's so interesting is, is because right. of so many things um, at once. You yeah, know, there's, like, there's like this, this complication with genres and niching because mm-hmm. I guess my brain likes to like categorize them as though they're all separate little boxes. But the more you're talking about, it's like, no, actually a lot of them sort of overlap. And so when you're talking about travel writing, it's, as you're saying, a, a big umbrella and you can sort of shove a bunch of different things under there and in within themselves are probably overlapping as well. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose it's like any other type right. of genre, right? Like you could find, um, space romance or something, right? Like yeah, a, it was really true. a romance or something. And these are anti time travel and probably, right, right. <laughs> you know, that's why it's so interesting, but there's something, you know, if we want to talk about genre there, I mean, there's still something essential about, about those books. Like, you know, a space romance is probably more <laughs> like a science fiction book than a romance book, arguably. Right. There's right there. Maybe there's something to the genre conversation but you you'd mentioned something about memoir earlier and you know it's like you know one of the big questions is isn't travel writing basically memoir and yeah in a way in a way it is famously there was this academic i think he was writing in the 80s don't quote me on that but his name was paul fussell and he uh, kind of like denigrated travel writing and said travel writing is just a, uh, a subspecies of the memoir he says oh. um, which is which is kind of it makes sense but you know i would say that since he he wrote that i think memoir has come to mean different things you know right and, um maybe it was at one point but now maybe it's not just that maybe there are more kind of variations on the theme so to say yeah i think memoir is a is a tricky one as well because a lot of essays that you would find in literary magazines you could say are memoir ish mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um lots of books that you want you know i guess we no longer write those you know long autobiographies basically it's, yeah. it's usually depicting I, I mean some people have written like three memoirs about themselves you know so you're sort of depicting one point of your life right um, and you can continue to add to that almost so i guess for for travel writing, does it encompass fiction as well, or is it mostly nonfiction? I, again, it depends on who you ask. It. <laughs> well, in your opinion, what, yeah. what would you? What would you? Um, Definitely, think? absolutely nonfiction. Okay. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that there's no fabrication involved. Right. There's. Mm-hmm. I think many. Well, it's like in 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 memoir. Like if we can use that as a touchstone. I mean when you read a memoir, you kind of understand that this is someone's subjective experience and mm-hmm. the truth needs to bend a little bit, right? Like, um, you know, there's a very like obvious point of, uh, you know, needing to to change, you know, the names of specifics or people to protect right, right. identities, right? And that's obviously not true, but that's somehow okay, right? maybe moving characters around in your memory or on a travel experience to fit a narrative. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of leeway there. Mm. Um, You know, memoirists, there's no way that they could remember dialogue, (laughs) you know, so so specifically. So there's like some fudge fact, there's a fudge factor going on here that we somehow tolerate. Um, But there's a line that cannot be crossed, right? Um, In memoir and in travel writing like inventing people and events and situations, that's a big no-no. So for me, I would think travel writing is definitely a kind of a nonfiction kind of genre that that contains like, or has some sort of contract with the reader that you're not going to kind of invent things too much. Like these are kind of true event, events as you right. understood them, right? So if they if they read, if you write something about Rome and they go to Rome, they're expecting things to be in a certain spot, <laughs> I guess you would say. But or... also, yeah, but also your experience of Rome, you know, like if you're, if you have this kind of great, you know, this grand romance in Rome and it's not true, then as a reader, you're like, what, you know, what? <laughs> I, <laughs> I pick up a travel book expecting to read a okay. true experience. And if there's something that's 
just kind of wholly fabricated and that, that that's like breaking the trust with me the reader and so that's a big for me that's a big red flag and i guess other people have different tolerances sure. about this you know, there's a different genre for that it's not necessarily that you've traveled i guess we yeah with travel writing you would assume the person's been there and if they fabricate a grand romance then you're going to start to wonder if they actually even traveled you know i guess once you break that trust right in one thing it, you're going to start questioning yeah it seeds uh seeds doubt and you know one questions whether or not as you mentioned the whole thing is true or or, or false i mean there is fiction and you can write about your travels and you can fictionalize them that's that's completely fine but you know with travel literature travel writing i mean there's kind of an implicit i i guess understanding that it's mm. true at least i do and i okay. i would i'd be really pissed if i learned that something was, <laughs> was, was, was invented you know so how how far away do you have to travel to write about an experience that that is considered then travel writing yeah that's a good question um how far i mean so so i guess going back to like definitions you would say like mm-hmm. what is what is travel writing when i think of travel writing i think of you know someone who is foreign for lack of a bit, of a better word to a place that they're writing about someone like an outsider you know okay. someone who doesn't have an intimate understanding of that place anymore maybe if somebody has like this really intimate understanding of place then that's not maybe it's not travel writing maybe that's just place writing but mm-hmm. to me travel writing has this idea of like okay i'm going somewhere new i'm going to experience something that i'm unfamiliar with okay so right, how far right. how far do you need to go well i mean i can go down the block here in orlando and see radically different things and write about those things and i'm a stranger and i'm an outsider in those communities right so certainly that could be travel writing right i don't need to go to china to write about my travels somewhere so it's it's more about this undercurrent of like this open curiosity to go to a new place and allow that place to to impact you i guess yeah better said than than I, than I just did but yeah exactly I like, I like that because i i do think um everyone's so different so you and i were talking about how you know we're actually travel fanatics i i love traveling but i encounter people who have never left the states and while it might seem strange to me you know for other people literally going to another city or another state would be a very impactful travel experience Mm-hmm. so yeah you don't have to go yeah See, for, <laughs> for me i'm always like oh let's go to another country <laughs> yeah, no, we could go to uh, a different state and see something radically different and and write about those and i think those are, are definitely fair game for this but i want to go back to something that you just mm-hmm. mentioned because i think it was um, a really good point and you said something about you know how a place impacts you as you move through it and i think you know that's kind of like the the key part to to travel writing and place writing and and nature writing and all these types of writings is that when the setting moves from the background to the foreground it's not just that we're writing about the environment say um mm-hmm. it, we're writing about how this space or this place that we're in is imbued with meaning that we uh, ascribe to it it's like you know how we feel or how we understand or experience that place as subjective kind of human beings right with our own flaws and contexts right how we negotiate that space how you negotiate your city is will be completely different than me doing the same thing so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of it's rich it's not like uh, you're saying this is how something is but you're saying this is how um i i found something to be if that makes sense yeah yeah, that does make sense. And I think it it gives it a completely different feel when you're writing about and even as a reader and as a writer you're going into writing that piece or reading that piece as like it is not just the setting, it is something that changed the narrator in some way or impacted the narrator. So it's really it's really woven more tightly, I guess. 
right to to the point of the story of where that person is because it wouldn't be the same if they were somewhere else you know so a lot of times in writing we talk about the setting you know and sometimes there are I guess stories that could literally be anywhere (laughs) you know you could you could put them anywhere and it's like any town USA but with travel writing what you're saying is that it's really no it's the place that you went that it wouldn't be the same if it was another place Right. There's a, there's this concept called the, the the spirit of place, and according to the idea, it's you know, you know each each place has its kind of essence. Or there's something special about you know each unique place. You know, you go. The air smells different. You know, sounds smell. You know, everything is different and particular to each individual place, and so that's the spirit of place. And, you know, the sense of place that we, we write about is basically our interpretation or our experience of, of that place. Hmm. Again, it's like your, what, how you experience a place will be different from me. And that's, I, I think what makes travel writing so rich. Uh, it's, it's not like we're just learning about the city of Orlando, but we're learning about how someone experienced that city. Yeah, in order to do that, though, you have to be a writer who is really willing to go deep and to be pretty open. Mm-hmm. So that that definitely takes. I don't. I'm, I don't want to use the word talent, but it, it takes a a vulnerability to write it in such a way that it doesn't come out as some sort of tourist pamphlet. Right. I guess. Well, I, yeah, that's a great point, and I think that's kind of why that guy I mentioned earlier, Paul Fussell, uh, said that it was a subspecies of memoir because there is something kind of uh, subjective and vulnerable about detailing your experiences. You know, you have to be open and I think aware of and in touch with who you are and how you experience something to to be able to put it, pull it off. That's not to say that all travel writing needs that. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, some of Bill Bryson's books, he's, he's a Kind of a comedic travel writer, and many of his books don't have that kind of vulnerability that we were just talking about. But that doesn't mean it's not travel writing. I just think he's a good observer, you know, uh, which is another. I think there is a lot of comedy in travel. Yeah. <laughs> if you, yeah, if you go the, to the, another country, <laughs> idiot abroad, the bumbling, a foreigner. Yeah, it makes yes. for comedy. Yeah. It does, it, especially if you're very open to just embracing that you're an American. What, do you, what <laughs> else are you going to do? Oh, I don't know if you ever had that experience in Spain, but I, I sure did in France. And your your wife is French. Do you speak French? Um, un petit peu, mais... Yeah. Oh, geez. Is it, French is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know all the bad words. I joke. Uh. <laughs> oh, well, those are the first ones you learn, right? <laughs> um, yes, I find... I find French beautiful. It's like it's my best friend and my worst enemy. <laughs> so I you lived in Toulouse a little bit. So you should have. Oh, but I have the Toulouse. <laughs> 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 yes. And my kids did too for a while. But yeah, I, I can see too, you know, even writing in a comedic way is still, I think, a vulnerability of just allowing people to see how human we are and the writer themselves of just probably either mistakes or misunderstandings or, you know, the fact that they're in an area that's completely different to them, foreign to them, you know, takes a certain courage and a vulnerability to, to even, you know, express what's going on around them and, and maybe admit that they don't really know what's going on (laughs) on around them. So yeah, even if you have more of a comedic bent, it's, you're still letting the reader know a certain that you you don't know everything at that right. moment, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to check his books out and see if. Yeah, no, he's if, a great. <laughs> if he was forgot all his words when he went to the hair salon. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Since you're you're in um, you, you lived in a little bit in in France. You might want to check out um, a writer named Peter Mayle. Okay. Who M A Y L E. And he wrote a series of books uh, about his time living in Provence. So it's called a, a, his most famous book, I think, is called The Year in Provence. And he, very kind of funny uh, a, a book. And, you know, this is a good, I think, thing to do is kind of like 
read some of the different subgenres of of travel writing just so for no other reason than to kind of see how rich and and diverse it can be like I, I was reading uh recently a book it's kind of a travel book it's called mad travelers and it's a book about kind of this alleged con artist who kind of swindles people allegedly out of like hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and promises them that he's going to take them to kind of check off their bucket lists and you know these really hard to reach locations i think there was an hbo documentary about this oh, wow. but the author travels to the United Kingdom to kind of meet up with this guy. And, and it's kind of like this investigation that he does. And in books like that, that has this kind of travel investigation component. I mean, implicitly, maybe there is a vulnerability there. There's someone going to another place and experiencing something different and potentially opening doors that they shouldn't open. Yeah, that's vulnerable. But you you, you don't see that the book is not about that right. per se. It's about the investigation midnight in the garden of a good and evil i think is a great example of how one of these investigative travel books works really well by the way interesting yes i hadn't thought of that as as a travel look at that you're you're leaving me speechless yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna have to rearrange how i think of things though so when you're sitting down and thinking okay i want to write about this experience that I had or this place that I went and these things that happened. Is it, is, are you able to go back 30, 40 years? Um, is that still allowed in the travel writing genre, do you think, or are you really supposed to be already thinking about what you're writing in the moment or is anything allowed? Anything, everything is on the, on the table. When you ask this question, some writers immediately jump to mind. And uh, two writers are British writers. Uh, one is a guy named Laurie Lee, and another is a guy named Patrick Lee Firmer. And uh, I, I mentioned those, and I think about them both in the same kind of thought, because around the same time, they went on these European adventures. And mm-hmm. around the same time, I don't know, 30 years after that, <laughs> they they wrote and published their books about those adventures. Those are famous and incredible books, um, really good books. Begs the question about truth that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. right? Um, famously, Patrick Lee Firmer lost his notebooks while he was traveling, right? And so, like most of what he wrote, he reconstructed from memory, right? Wow. Invented some things too, <laughs> <laughs> but but generally speaking, it's a it's a true account as he remembered it, and I think he's very forthcoming. Uh, with, with, with that, and so what's what's wrong with that? You know, right. other writers would take their moleskin notebook, you know, and jot things down every every evening at the hotel. They write up the day longhand, and you know, make sure that they document everything. Uh, I guess, as they say here uh, in the South, there there are many ways to skin a cat. <laughs> and, <laughs> are you guys eating cats in Florida? No, <laughs> it's the Florida man. Um, that's true. That's true. So we're. I think for a lot of writers, you know, if you're writing a book, that's one thing. But a lot of times we're looking for a, a place to sort of write other things that might not get into our books, or maybe it's not big enough of a of a story to go into a book. And so what I'm thinking is travel writing might not be a place where a lot of writers think that they could get some of their stories down as sort of these essay or travel writing essays not only to practice their writing, but, you know, to be published or to be read other places or to try a a whole nother genre. Is there, are there places out there? Are travel writing literary magazines, is that a thing? (laughs) That's a very long name for something. Would you recommend that they look that niche or would you just recommend maybe they, they write it and try to publish it, I guess, in, in, what we would call literary magazines or, you know, these magazines that we read essays and stories in. Yeah. I mean, I I guess it it depends on what kind of travel writing you want to do. I mean, if you want to do these great hotel write-ups and, Mm. uh, you know, the five best restaurants in Washington or whatever, 
then I think you'll find uh, many opportunities to do that online and though less so um, in print for sure. You know, the airline magazines are famously kind of going the way of the dodo, but there are oppor- okay, okay. Op- opportunities to do that, um, okay. that style of writing. But for the more literary uh, mm-hmm. style of, of travel writing, I mean, I, I think it might be helpful to to not think of specific travel journals to think about how I'm going to do this great kind of piece of travel writing. But if there's a good story about a travel experience, like a a real good story that's true and compelling, then I I would think that you would be able to find a home for that in many outlets, uh, any, many literary uh, journals or kind of major publications. So I wouldn't think about this in very kind of a very narrow travel writing sense. Although there are niche publishers that deal specifically with travel writing, I think that might to think only in that box may may be a disservice to getting the work published. Okay, yeah, that makes sense as well. But you also edit an online magazine called Adventures and Ideas, and I do think that is a great place for people to start reading the, you know, and getting used to this idea of travel writing. I read a great piece on there the other day about a woman going to Greenland and it was just, it was very well written and it, it will sort of, you know, get your mind churning of maybe the places you've been as a writer or the, you know, why you went there. I I think it, it is a, it's a nice place for maybe people to dip their toes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, thanks for mentioning that adventuresandideas.com. It's a new kind of literary journal, kind of blog outlet thing that I'm trying to launch, basically. Um, but I'm interested in, 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 in this kind of exploring more, I guess, uh, more thoughtful experiences in travel and, and writing that deals with more thoughtful topics than just like uh, hotel reviews or, or whatever. I mean, there's a place for that kind of writing and I'm not trying to, to poo poo it. Um, but I just want to do something a little bit different with this, that piece that you'd mentioned is it's great. And I think this is a good way, um, a good point to hear to, to mention that's it's a, it's a book of, uh, it's a story of an aging woman who goes to Greenland and, she sees the the glaciers kind of melting. She comes upon a cemetery and she reflects on her own mortality within that setting. And so this is, I guess, a great essay or a great, a great article to, to, to see how, you know, the setting comes into the foreground, but she's also kind of dealing with her experiences of that place. I mean, that's a great, that's a great essay. There are other outlets too. One of my friends, his name is uh, Tim Leffel. He has a site called perceptivetravel.com, and he does something similar to me. Um, so you might want to check those out as well. Sure, sure. We can put those. We'll put adventuresandideas.com and uh, did you say receptive? Perceptive, perceptive. Uh, we, we can put the links below. So I also want people to know, like the difference that you're you're doing too in adventures and ideas, and I think a lot of maybe other travel writing is that just like that Greenland piece, there's something underneath, you know, there's the setting and that is sort of front and center, but there's also like the story underneath is always needed as well. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we can get maybe caught up in just writing what happened. (laughs) You know, I don't know about you, but I've read some, some pieces some of them a bit longer than they should be about people um, doing their year abroad or their, you know, hiking in Europe. And I can see where they really want to impart on the reader, how much it impacted them, but because they have no story underneath it, no like change, you know, it's Mm -hmm. so kind of hazy. (laughs) There's no like focused desire or want or really big sort of movement in the story it almost feels like it's just moves along the timeline Mm -hmm. you know and that's almost the difference there between that Greenland piece and a couple other pieces that I've read that right yeah I think what you're referring to is 
one of the subgenres of the travel book, which I call the travel log, which is just basically like a play-by-play or blow-by-blow account of what somebody did and saw and ate and all that stuff. And you know, if you're, I mean, there there is a place for that, and and um, I do understand historically why there is a place for that in in, in kind of writing, and and I don't want to poo-poo that either, but. You know, some some readers want to to read something a little bit more. Yeah, maybe they feel. I I, I don't know. Let I, I me. Mean, I was watching. I was I wasn't watching it, but over the weekend there was a football. You know, the football games here. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have TV. Like I don't have any of those channels. I don't. I I can't. I don't have any access to football. I want to watch the football game, but I can't watch the damn game. <laughs> and so I'm stuck here on a website and I have to refresh it and I get like the play by play and it's just so tedious and it's so boring. I get the information that I need, but I would rather be seeing like the story unfold in real, you know, right. I'd rather be seeing kind of the drama and I don't get that in the play by play. And I, I can like a travel log to kind of like reading that play by play without getting any of the drama or seeing the story unfold if that makes sense yeah no that that makes perfect sense i think that's a a perfect depiction yeah that makes a perfect sort of like cuts it in half whereas if you go when i went to nepal in november some a woman was sending her notes to her sister to put it up on her travel blog and i think that's what what you're talking about it was kind of a play by play of what we're doing which in the moment and for for some people and for some situations that can be very interesting but to come home and write a story that captures mm. the attention of people and really expresses the emotions and the things you know the like that thing inside of you that changed that that takes a little bit more than just a play by play and like you were saying before you might even sort of jump around and intermix things because the point is more about the person in the place and in this whole story more than today we went to Namche, tomorrow we go here. <laughs> you know, we ate Dalbat again. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's great. I, I think there's a time and in, in, in place for that type mm-hmm. of writing. Um, I think there's a lot of value in that, especially if yeah. you're traveling to Nepal and you, you know, you want to kind of get or a, a travel blogger like my friend you know yeah yeah there's that's totally fine but you said it takes a little more than a play-by-play to write a compelling story i think you're right but i think it also it takes a little more time mm-hmm. because if you're in the moment and you're writing things down you probably don't have the perspective to really understand what has changed if anything has changed at all so you know you asked like a you know when when does the travel writing happen well hopefully it happens as it's occurring you're taking notes and trying to remember the things that you're feeling and experiencing but hopefully when you get home right and you're sitting on the chair and you have the perspective and the space to to think and reflect on that experience that's when kind of the magic happens and the narrative hopefully unfolds and a story kind of blossoms from that yeah i think you're right the more that we talk now i think that that perspective is what um, whether it's a month or a year or 30 years, like the authors you mentioned, because you you start to see how possibly that pinpoint sort of moved your life in a certain trajectory or what what stayed with you or what you did yeah. actually learn with you know hindsight when you're a little bit older. Right. And you sort of let that that stew within you for a little bit. And most likely you have a lot of starts and stops in your notebook or on your computer, as most writers do, you know, trying to get that, capture that essence of why it was so compelling or why it changed you or what was happening inside of you. Yeah, you know, what is what is travel without home and what is movement without stillness? I mean, yeah. they both need their opposites for it to make any sense. Yeah. Well, that would be a perfect ending to the podcast, but I have a few more <laughs> questions for you. <laughs> That's a perfect quote. Where would you tell people, how can they get the resources or where to sort of start? Would you would you tell them to just sort of start, I guess, 
in their, in their notebooks, observing things. Is that how you would tell people to start? Or is there, are there classes or ideas, you know, places that they can do, or would you tell them to read travel writing? Where would that sort of beginning place be? It's a funny question. Writers, it's I guess. a funny question <laughs> to, to ask in a pandemic. When we're all, this is true. You know, Go joke. somewhere, guys, except <laughs> that you can't. Rule number one, travel. No, but we're joking, but we're, we're, we're serious. I mean, I think, you know, having those travel experiences, um, you know, are, are necessary for mm-hmm. that. And so everything that you said, I, yes, do all of those things, uh, read travel books because, you know, you'll, you'll, as I mentioned earlier, you'll understand how kind of varied and diverse the, the genre is. And then you'll hopefully kind of like understand what, what type of travel book interests you and what type mm-hmm. of travel book you want to write. I think that's critical. I don't, you know, I don't think it's very easy to to see when someone has, you know, hands you a manuscript and they haven't read any travel books. I mean, I think that's quite obvious. Mm-hmm. Reading is so critical to, to writing a good book, but yeah, traveling um, is, is definitely important and kind of reflection. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm of the school of thought that believes, you know, writing, taking notes, reflecting, you know, tra- traveling alone if you can, if you have the wherewithal and, you know, the supporting domestic situation to do that, you know, that's critical. Having that space to, to think and observe uh, without any distractions is, is, is critical for that. Reading, traveling, all of the things. Kat, everything that you said? Everything. Yes. Okay. Everyone's going to be very busy until COVID lifts. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll um, all be shooting out the door. Yeah, but but all jokes aside, I mean, we can practice this at, at home. I mean, everybody's everybody's stuck at home, or they've been stuck at home for for many months. Traveling or going down the street and kind of opening your eyes and opening your ears and talking to people that you normally wouldn't talk to, hearing their stories, trying to remember them. I mean, that's basically what a travel writer does, but they just don't do it at home, you know. Yeah, that's a good point, though. That is a good point. I mean, everything that we do takes a bit of practice. And I think it it would be a mistake to go on some epic travel without having done some practice. So you're right, you know, even going to a different neighborhood than yours. And did you keep an, a notebook when you were abroad? I did. But um, hiking 12 hours a day definitely kept the pen like going scrolling off the page as I yeah. fell asleep. So I didn't, um, that was one thing that I sort of regretted about Nepal and Mount Everest in, in general. I think the hike is so intense. Um, we went up and down in, in 12 mm-hmm. days, got there, went up, mm-hmm. came back. So I, we did have two acclimation days and that those are kind of the days that I caught up, but I did also have to learn I tend to be long-winded even in my journal. So I had to sort of adjust that mm-hmm. and just jot things down more than anything, which is weird how much, you know, changing one little habit can sort of <laughs> make you very uncomfortable. But so I didn't get as many pages as I normally would, which is, it's funny yeah. how we, we measure our own writing success. Mm-hmm. But I think that I have you know, that was, that's one thing that I would tell people is if you don't have the time or if you're tired, just jotting stuff down, um, as much as it might sort of go against what you usually do. Mm. What another great thing. Yeah. That's a great, excellent point. Um, even those little, uh, kind of notes and these fleeting ideas here and there, I think will amount to a lot. Um, everybody does that. Paul Theroux wrote, uh, wrote about this, um, and I forget which book it was, but, um, and I, I'm not remembering the details correctly, but, it's the funny thing about travel writing is is that in the book, it's you know this true account of somebody traveling somewhere. You often see and you catch these little glimpses about how they're writing the book that you're reading. It's just like weird thing. Um, it's like breaking the fourth wall or something in, in theater. But he mentions in one of his books that he was talking to a kid, I think a kid in India, and he wanted to remember the story, so he pulls out his little pocket notebook and, and wrote down his name. And the point being is that that just writing down the boy's name would be enough for him to remember the scene 
that we just read, right? Yeah. And so like little little notes and these fleeting kind of ideas can can really bring someone back to a place, which is also to say like, I like to make fun of people who are stuck to their phones, but like Instagram and recording stories and selfies, that's a great way to kind of transport you back to the time and the place. So pull out the phone if you can't write, pull out the phone and take a story and talk to the, I don't know, your followers. I don't take a story. And I think that you can save them, of course. And that would, I think, bring you back and help yeah, you yeah. remember. I think we're very lucky to have these phones in our pockets. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to have to travel with our giant, giant Nikons, <laughs> which I still have. But, um, you know, the traveling in 2001 was different than today. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> You know, and I, I tend to take pictures of things that are, like you said, are, are just for me to be able to come back and I'll be able to see that. And I think also remembering this, the songs or, you know, sort of what's around you will trigger memories. And yeah. And and you'd be amazed like how, you know, 10, 20 years later, you're like, oh my gosh, I remember where I was when I heard that song Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, or movie or whatever it is. So yeah, I can see how writing down the, the boy's name would help him. And names are actually I think very important to write down whether it's the name of the place or the people, because especially if it's in another language, it's amazing how quickly you can forget that because your brain's just not, not adapted to that language, I guess. I think those details are, are important. You know, we'd mentioned about like the play by play and that kind of thing. And it's kind of like, you know, like in, in fiction writing, we talk about like dumping the backstory or like this Mm -hmm. idea of like, just back backstory vomit and it comes out on the page and there's no kind of control and there's no kind of regulation of that. And to some degree, like the blow by blow might be like that a little bit, but you know, there's nothing better than like a, you know, deftly deployed detail. Right. I mean, that's just like, boom, there's nothing better than, than that. So details, which is a long way to say that details I think are, are really imp- important in any type of writing, but in travel writing, especially. Yeah. Yes. And I think um, more than anything, it's going, going, like you said, with that, those open eyes and just being curious mm-hmm. about whether you're going down the street um, to another city in America, or if you're going a- a- across the world. And I, I do think that I think there are some young people that know how to do that. I'm not sure I was one of them, <laughs> but whatever age you are, I do think for some of us, it comes more with age where you're just willing to say, I, I'm completely new in this place. And I'm very curious about the culture and being willing to ask questions and just mm-hmm. be a part of it, you know, understand that you're there to experience it really as a foreigner and being okay with that. Because so I think a lot of Americans, especially if they go to Europe, they're like trying not to look like a tourist. <laughs> uh, but you're so busy trying not to look like a tourist that you kind of shut yourself off to the full experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of just go all out. <laughs> and on your second trip, you can sort of pretend that you're yeah. French. But they'll know by the time you open your mouth and say bonjour, they're, they're right. going to know. <laughs> That's funny that you mentioned that because you know, we, I think most of us have, have had this experience where you're in high school or, you know, you, you're, you suddenly meet somebody with an accent or someone from somewhere else and you're immediately interested in that person, right? Like, oh my yeah. gosh, where are you from? How, how long have you been here? You know, there's people are like that everywhere in the world. And, you know, that's, that's an asset. It's not something that you should try and hide. I don't know why people are trying so hard not to be tourists. I mean, I get it, but I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's kind weird, of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It's that weird pull, but if you want to be a travel writer, especially, I think you just need to embrace it, yeah. <laughs> embrace all of it and, and really just immerse yourself wherever you are. Right. And you can, you, I think you'll find the stories that way too, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever, whichever way, whether it's comedic because you can't remember the word or <laughs> Or you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
that can happen as well. Where can people find out more about what you do? Um, you have a couple newsletters. Um, you do some editing and writing. Where can people find you? Yeah, I think the the, the best place to go is just my website. It's uh, jeremybassetti.com. And from there, you can find links to everywhere else. My, my podcast, Travel Writing World, which you can find at travelwritingworld.com, or you can go just to my, my website. Everything is there. Um, I have that podcast that I just mentioned. I have some newsletters. So if you're interested in like travel writing or place writing or nature writing, I do this roundup newsletter. It's, you can go to the website and read it for free. Um, but if you do that, you'll see it's like a lot of a lot of work goes into it. There are tons of, of links uh, related mm-hmm. to kind of literary travel writing, um, literary nature writing, and, and, and those uh, types of genres there. So yeah, go check that website yes. out. <laughs> and I'll I'll have the um the links in the show notes below um this episode. But thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming and talking to us about place and travel writing. Thanks for inviting me. I had a lot of fun speaking with you. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils Olympic podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.